Welcome back to Women's Wealth, The Middle Way, the show that answers your questions about work, money, and family. My name is Susan McLaurie Michael, and I am the CEO and founder of Glen Eagle, a wealth management firm in New Jersey. Our guest today recently captured the country's admiration when she shared her story of beating the odds as she graduated from Harvard Law School while raising her one-year-old daughter, who she gave birth to during final exam period of her second year of school. Her Instagram post explaining her story of struggles, doubt, and perseverance, along with pictures of her beautiful little Evelyn wearing her matching cap and gown on her graduation day, ranked up over 21,000 likes and has inspired women and working mothers across the nation. From finishing a final exam on her hospital bed while she was going into labor to breastfeeding with one arm while writing a paper with the other, Brianna's journey was not an easy one but it was all worth it. Today, we are thrilled to have Brianna join us to talk about her story and journey and maybe inspire others who are out there questioning, how am I going to get through today? Welcome. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Well, your daughter is beautiful. <laughs> so that is quite an accomplishment. Can you rewind for us your initial thoughts at the beginning? Wow, how am I going to get through this when you're pregnant? And as women, we are, all of us, especially working moms or student moms, we face so many times judgments of other people or questioning our own parenting abilities. How did you deal with all of these emotions when little Evie was on her way in your school and, and your student? Can you take us a little bit through that journey? Well, when I first found out I was pregnant, it was actually during EIP. And for those of you who don't know, EIP is the early interview program given by law schools, generally the summer before you start your second year. And it's meant to give students an opportunity to meet and network with firms that they'll potentially be working at and get jobs. And that's what EIP for it's, it's to result in you having a job so that your career choice is solidified by the time that you graduate. And so when I found out during EIP, I was originally going to interview for all New York firms. And it completely changed my plan at that point because I realized that me living in New York with a newborn um, or a one-year-old because during my third year when she would have been one years old, I was going to be working. And so I was, my logistic was me going to New York with this newborn child that is one-year-old, working at a New York firm, and everyone knows that these New York firms are extremely intense. I don't have family there. Transportation is extremely difficult. And it's just generally hard to have children in such a fast-paced place. I decided at that point you have to kind of change and reroute, just recalibrate. And so I decided to start, to start looking for positions in L.A. I was a little bit late. And so from the beginning, it was, I don't want to say like a fork in my head. It was kind of like, okay, well, let's figure out how can you reorganize or recalibrate so that you can maximize your time in school, your exposure to these firms and the job market while knowing that you have to prepare for this child. 
And so at that point, I decided to look for positions in L.A. because I had family there. I started interviewing with L.A. firms and then thankfully got a job in L.A. And so that was just the beginning. Afterwards, I knew that I had this child coming in. I found out in August, and so she was coming in April. And so for the rest of the time while I was in school, I just planned around me having the baby. And so from contacting my property managers immediately, letting them know that a child would be coming, getting my apartment ready for the child, and also contacting my professors, contacting the dean, letting everyone know that I was going to be having a kid, asking for advice, actively looking for pediatricians, daycare centers, connecting with child and family groups in the community, just knowing that I had to prepare and doing that in addition to my workload, which was, you know, my academic responsibilities, I made sure that I did both and was most prepared, as prepared as I could be. I was 23 at the time with the baby on the way and in law school. You know, Brianna, I can't tell you, I, I, I'm sitting here and it's like flashbacks for myself. <laughs> I was around the same age, around 23, and I was a military mm-hmm. wife overseas when we found out, when I found out I was having a child and I was working full-time, no family, you're in Europe, husband's away in the field all the time, but you know, you're right. Women are just amazing in that we don't say, I am a victim here, oh, I give up. Exactly what you're explaining. We start to say, this is what I need to do. How do I begin to exactly. look at this? And, exactly. and you are an amazing role model. And you, But, you know, you're also so transparent. I think the thing that I loved most when I was reading about you is you have posts online, and you're so very candid when it comes that social media shows glamorous images of our lives. And oh, you, yes. And you had to share on your I Instagram. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I try to be so real because I get so many questions about, well, even someone just asked me the other day, how do you stay so well-groomed or something of the sort while you're studying for the bar? And I'm just like, okay, no. You see me maybe one time out of like three or four weeks or even sometimes I post pictures that I've taken months ago. If you saw me every day, I look stressed out, I've lost weight, my hair is never done, and between being with Evelyn and studying for this bar, trust me, disheveled is not even an adequate explanation <laughs> for how I look every day. And I try to tell them because social media has become such a hyper-consumer and an avenue for people to believe that other people are living that are doing things that they're not doing. And then those people in turn go and try to follow those people and their lifestyles and the way that they operate and the way that they travel or spend money or whatever. And they end up infringing upon their own ability to actually navigate socially or economically. And it's scary to think that social media has such a big impact in terms of restriction on the community and on women in general because especially as women, you know, we we are very emotional and vulnerable creatures to start and we see other women like, oh, you're beautiful and you're striving and you're doing this and that and you're, you know, you're a mom, even people tell me and you're in school, but I'm like, listen, you see the best parts of my day or the best parts of my month. You don't see the days that 
I am crying all day because I feel inadequate or I'm in bed and I don't want to leave bed or even the days where I feel like I'm failing my daughter because I'm spending so much time trying to achieve these goals, trying to prove to amongst everyone else but myself that I can get through this career and have a baby and do what I need to do that I feel like I'm not present enough in my daughter and she wants to, you know, play and read and be around me and I'm like, okay, Shoo shoo, Evie. I have to I have to study. I have to do this. I have to do this. And I know I'm doing it for her, but still it hurts me knowing that I'm having to sacrifice at least some time that I know that she wants to be with me. And so we can't continue to make these false archetypes our idols, these Instagram women or these women on the covers of magazines because we don't see what they're really doing. We don't see their struggle. You know, <clears throat> Brianna, you have no idea how many women are listening right now that just want to jump through the phone and give you a big hug because they get it. Oh, <laughs> you, are, you are so transparent that I, I can feel the love through the audience that's listening to you today. You know, the story that I love most is when you're running in with Evie and you have to run into the dean of students' office and say, help, <laughs> I have to get to yeah. class. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because my dean, she was like, well, don't miss class. And I, and, and I was like, well, what do you mean don't miss class? Sometimes I just cannot go if I don't have a babysitter or if I hire someone who texts me at the last minute and says, I can't come anymore. I'm just like, okay, well, thanks a lot. <laughs> because the thing is, you can't just pick up someone off the street and say, oh, can you come watch my child? You know, you have to go through some kind of interview process or filtering process, and you don't want to just leave your baby, especially a young child, in the hands of anyone. And so I was very particular about that, about not leaving my baby with anyone. And so if my dean's going to tell me I can't miss class or I shouldn't miss class, I was just like, okay, well, then you can help. So if I was on my last leg and needed help, I would just roll her right in in her carriage onto the dean's office and, and her <laughs> – her uh, her secretary, is, his name is Edgar, and he was always in the front. He knew me, and I'm like, hey, Edgar, please, here goes Evie, pass her around, and everyone in the office would have, you know, food and little toys and stuff for her, and they would just pass her around, and I would come back, and she'd be wrapped in Edgar's jacket, sleeping in her cradle. I'm like, okay, <laughs> thank you. And you probably don't even realize the joy you brought to them. They probably looked forward, here they come, and they were probably fighting on who gets to hold the baby. Yes, yeah, they always asked for her. <laughs> Something else that we that I really was intrigued about, and I'd love you to share with the audience because it so commends what you have accomplished and where you come. You actually wrote on an Instagram post that when you attended Harvard Law, you became an anomaly for your community as a black woman because you graduated not only as a single mom, but you beat the odds that you really, you know, you accomplished so much. So what advice do you have for any woman who doubts her ability to overcome obstacles of her race or her gender, economic background, and not to be a victim, but to actually take advantage of circumstances and make the best of them? So when I first got to Harvard, my biggest struggle was not feeling like I belong there. I felt like not even just being a black woman, because I was a minority, but just being a woman, just being someone who came from a first-generation family, whereas none of my brothers and sisters, and my mom has six kids, no one in my family had gone to school and, moreover, had gone into higher education. And so I felt lonely. I felt like I didn't belong to be there because I wasn't equipped with all of the things that I needed to know, not just academically, but socially and professionally as these other students. So whereas I came to Harvard, 
not, not only was I all of these things, but I was also 21 years old. I came to Harvard with a very, and I would say, um, for lack of better words, goofy personality. I didn't take much seriously. I'm like, okay, great. I got into law school because I could. Now what's next? What's the next challenge? And people were like, okay, who is this girl? And why? how is she? And why is she here? And so I, I felt really inadequate and there's the thing that people call imposter syndrome, whereas you don't feel as though you are rightfully selected. But the thing is, the admissions consultants, they don't just look at scores. And the thing is, I had scored very well. And, and I'm, like, saying in, like, the 99th percentile in my exams and in my academia, and I had done significant things. I had written a program for the New York City Council and inducted the largest chapter ever for my law fraternity on campus and undergrad. And I, and I had worked for this congressman dealing directly with constituent issues and worked in the law. So I was equipped. And I had the scores and such, but I still felt that I didn't belong. And the thing is, when, um, again, these admissions committees, they look at your application, they evaluate it holistically, and they see you as a person, and they see your background and what you've been through and how you've had to overcome your hardships. And they understand that where, because of where you came from and because of all of these things that might make you an anomaly or a struggle story or a diverse candidate, that those are the reasons that you are going to add an invaluable aspect to the discourse of their classrooms because not many people came from the same places you came from. And when I realized how I could use my background, use the fact that I was a first-generation college student and had to navigate myself all throughout school because my parents just didn't know the answers to a lot of things, use the fact that I had the fresh pain of my siblings actually going through the justice system, um, not as representatives like I was trying to be, but actually on the other side, just use the pain of me being alone or me being a single mom or just whatever it was that I was that set me apart that I felt made me inadequate, use that to challenge the status quo and to challenge the discourse and to challenge the ideas that a lot of my classmates had had about not only the justice system but about the political realm in which we were challenging in, by being law students or even the law in itself. And so when I realized that these things were not to my disadvantage because I wasn't a well-versed in certain cultural or academic or professional aspects that I felt as though a lot of students were uh, were so and were so prepared for it to be in this rigorous environment. I could not only teach myself their language, but master it and use it, coupled with my background, to be everyone. So I was like, my background isn't what makes me incompetent. My background is what makes me special and what makes me able and capable to succeed and to show my siblings and everyone else that they too can do it because when you come from a hard place, there's two things you can do. You can either, one, make it your testimony and use it to then go and create more opportunities for those similarly situated or you can make it your excuse or your your, and I don't want to say excuse because I don't like when people say that uh, these people are, or a lot of people are using excuses because obviously there are systemic issues that prevent and then other circumstances that more so prevent people from excelling or reaching the points that they need to. But I mean, when you have this kind of story, you can use it as uh, something to fall back on and say, okay, well, this is why I did not 
succeed. And I never wanted to be that way. I wanted to say, okay, this is what happened to me. This is what I went through. And this is how I used it to succeed. Brianna, you are an amazing, amazing woman. And I have to tell you, Evelyn is blessed to have you as a mother and role model. You know, very few people could do what you did. And someday she will be a young woman who looks at her mother and says, I have so much to look up to. What you're doing and how you're role modeling for not only your daughter, but for other young women around you. I, I cannot thank you enough for being with us today and as transparent as you are and keep it up because I think everybody needs to see not the perfect posts but the real life posts. So thank you, thank you, thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure. Thank you so much. And thanks to our listeners for tuning in today's episode of Women's Wealth, The Middle Way. Make sure you subscribe to us on iTunes or the podcast app and follow us on SoundCloud, Podbeam, and WomenRadio.com for new episodes every other Wednesday. See you in two weeks.